and apparently I couldn't stop talking to anyone who would listen about the quacked quab. Over the next years, I remember savoring variations of key lime pie in Key West, eating my first roadside cheeseburger somewhere in the hills outside Santa Barbara, trying Dungeness crab and saline abalone at San Francisco's Fisherman's Wharf, and having a lobster roll in Ogunquit, Maine. I devoured my first custardy quiche Lorraine as a seven-year-old when my parents took us to the city of Nancy in France. I tasted bottled water, Evian and Vitel, for the first time in the town of Talwar, and I can also remember exactly how the water of Lake Ancy tasted as I swam in it. I discovered fraises des bois, wild strawberries, and crème fraîche at La Colombe d'Or in Saint-Paul-de-Vence. I tasted a baguette with saucisson and pungent moutarde in Paris's Jardin des Tuileries. My writing improved because my mother insisted that I keep a diary of our trip. At the time, I hated doing this, but the diary turned out to be one of the greatest gifts she ever gave me. I wasn't writing about the museums and churches we'd seen. Instead, I chose to write about food. Back in my hometown of St. Louis, I was no less curious about what people ate. When I brought my lunch from home to elementary school, I swapped and shared sandwiches, not because the other kids' lunches were better, but because this was the best way I knew of to learn about another family. I had never heard of Miracle Whip until I traded my Braunschweiger on rye with another kid for his bologna sandwich, one slice of Oscar Mayer and Miracle Whip on tasty white bread. It tasted nothing like the Hellman's mayonnaise we used at home, and I began to understand something about families solely on the basis of their preference for Hellman's or Miracle Whip. I was fascinated to discover that the household across the street used Malls, the thin, tangy, classic St. Louis barbecue sauce, whereas my family was in the more mainstream open pit camp, using it as a base to be doctored with other ingredients. I learned that various brands of peanut butter tasted better with certain brands of jelly. I observed that some families chose Heinz ketchup, while others used Hunt's or Brooks. I got to know and care about the differences in the flavors of these ketchups. These explorations of food not only taught me about myself and others, but were central factors in how and why I chose to go into the restaurant business, and perhaps even in why the restaurants have fared so well. My discoveries have also convinced me that there's always someone out there who has figured out how to make something taste just a little bit better. And I'm inspired both by the search and the discovery. The restaurants and other businesses I've opened in New York City, Union Square Cafe, Gramercy Tavern, 11 Madison Park, Tabla, Blue Smoke, Jazz Standard, Shake Shack, The Modern, Cafe 2, and Terrace 5, which are our cafes for visitors within the Museum of Modern Art, plus Hudson Yards Catering, were all conceived and are all driven by a passion to add something new and compelling to what I call a dialogue between what already exists and what could be. Whether the subject is Indian spices, new American cuisine, the neighborhood bistro, barbecue, luxe dining, a big league jazz club, the traditional museum cafeteria, or hamburgers and milkshakes, my passion is always to explore the object of my interest in depth and then to combine the best of what I found with something unexpected to create a fresh context. I then look at the result and ask myself and my colleagues what it would take to do this even better. Creating restaurants or even recipes is like composing music. There are only so many notes in the scale from which all melodies and harmonies are created. The trick is to put those notes together in a way not heard before. For us, the ongoing challenge has been to combine the best elements of fine dining with accessibility. In other words, with open arms. 
This was once a radical concept in my business, where excellent cuisine was almost always paired with stiff arm's-length service. Sometimes we've moved in the other direction, beginning with the casual atmosphere of a barbecue joint or a shakes and burger stand, and then attempting to exceed expectations by employing a caring staff and using the finest ingredients. Our formula is a lot tougher to achieve than it sounds, but it can be applied successfully to virtually any business you can name. Where does my hunger for good food served with thoughtful care and consistency come from? Why am I so energized by seeking to uncover the best? The answer is my family, though its various influences on me have often been at odds. My three most important male role models were businessmen with profoundly different business philosophies, personalities, and styles. My parents, Roxanne and Morton Lewis Meyer, had spent the first two years of their youthful marriage in the early 1950s living in the city of Nancy, capital of the French province of Lorraine, where my dad was posted as an army intelligence officer. He was the son of Morton Meyer, a St. Louis businessman who had been educated at Princeton and ran a chemical company there called Thompson Hayward. Grandpa Morton was a visionary civic leader and a die-hard Republican, but one who understood the importance of working effectively with Democrats. For instance, he collaborated with Senator Stuart Symington to raise the funds and forge the coalitions necessary to build the St. Louis flood wall. He was a stoic member of the city's establishment and rarely talked to his family about his work, though he often talked to me about baseball and horse racing. There were no surprises with Grandpa Morton, and I loved him for that. He was in many ways the opposite of his flamboyant entrepreneurial son, my dad, who also attended Princeton, where he demonstrated a flair for languages, having mastered French, Italian, and Latin, and as the managing editor of the Daily Princetonian, English. My mother, too, was the child of a privileged Midwestern family. Her father, Irving B. Harris, was a singular man whose combining of social consciousness with business acumen was an enormous influence on me as a human being and ultimately even as a restaurateur. He graduated from Yale, and he made his first fortune before he was 40 years old, having co-founded the Tony Home Permanent Company with his brother Neeson. They sold it to the Gillette Safety Razor Company in 1948 for what was then an enormous sum, $20 million. Grandpa Irving's piercing analytical business mind was radically different from my father's intuitive entrepreneurialism. Morty, as my dad was known, always had an abundance of new imaginative ideas for companies that he would run, or try to run, by himself. Irving, on the other hand, invested in or acquired other people's businesses, especially when the ideas that defined those companies were compelling to him. His passion wasn't to operate the companies, but rather to bet on the quality of their senior leadership. Evaluating human potential was every bit as important to him as any business idea. My parents' knowledge of and fondness for France was a powerful bond between them. From a very young age, I was lucky to be taken abroad on family vacations, and it was on those trips that I was first immersed in the unaffected, timeless culture of gracious hospitality represented by European restaurateurs and innkeepers. In France, we usually stayed in low-key family-run inns where the welcome felt loving and the gastronomy was exceptional. Those trips left a lasting impression. The hug that came with the food made it taste even better. That realization would gradually evolve into my own well-defined business strategy, the core of which is hospitality, or being on the guest's side. Hospitality is the foundation of my business philosophy. 
Virtually nothing else is nearly as important as how one is made to feel in any business transaction. Hospitality exists when you believe the other person is on your side. The converse is just as true. Hospitality is present when something happens for you. It is absent when something happens to you. Those two simple prepositions, for and to, really express it all. In St. Louis, my father parlayed his love of all things French into a career as an innovative and successful travel agent. Among his prized collections were what must have been every back issue of Gourmet, Holiday, and later Travel and Leisure magazines. He also built on a wide range of friendships he and my mother had established with French innkeepers. His agency, Open Road Tours, packaged customized driving trips, often in conjunction with Relais de Compagne, a network of lovely family-operated inns around France. Relais de Compagne later evolved into Relais et Chateau, now a prestigious international network of small luxury hotels. My dad remained active with Relais et Chateau for years. He was enormously proud when his own small hotel in St. Louis, the Seven Gables Inn, became affiliated with Relais et Chateau in the late 1980s. This was long before such excursions off the beaten path became common in the travel industry. My dad exulted in planning these driving tours of the countryside. He would note exactly where travelers would stumble upon a certain vineyard, a worthwhile museum, or a particularly good bistro. His clients loved his attention to detail. His businesses thrived, and I was bursting with pride when I got to tell people my dad had become president of the American Society of Travel Agents, also known as ASTA, an important trade organization. At home, too, he and my mom were Eurocentric. They often hosted cocktail parties and dinner parties for friends and business.